The Enigma of Faith is the title of this message. We're in a series entitled Faith, the Key to Survival. Enigma, as a noun, means this. A person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. Here's that word used in a sentence. Stacy Marie, you can tell me if this grammar is correct. Faith in God was still an enigma to him. Is it to you? That's the question. We, and I say this a lot, that when we hear messages, sometimes we'll nudge whoever's sitting beside us or look over and give them the eye and say, this message is for you. It's always for us individually, even myself included. Every message that we hear is for us, it, it, as, you, as you as well. Is faith in God ever mysterious and puzzling or difficult for you to understand? I believe for many it is. A Christian who lives by faith is somewhat of enigma to the world. In his book, The Root of the Righteous, A.W. Tozer makes eloquent note of this fact, and I quote, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge, end of quote. <clears throat> Excuse me, we get into Hebrews 11, it reads something like a condensed Reader's Digest account of biblical history through common, common men and women who demonstrated uncommon faith. Faith that perplexed the people around them, but it pleased God, and that was their most important focus. Here's a brief, simple analysis of faith. Before the writer documents the journey of the faithful, he defines faith which made that journey possible in the first place. Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Peterson's The Message puts it this way, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's more like the sure steps of a child a trusting child walking toward the loving arms of its mother. Faith is confidence <coughs> excuse me, in God. Confidence that he is there, that he cares, that he is faithful, that he intervenes, and that he embraces us when we find or throw ourselves into his arms. Have you ever noticed that faith comes easily for children and it's difficult sometimes for adults. And that's what I love about children, that they're, they're honest, and sometimes they're too honest for parents because they say things that you wish that they had not said to other adults, actually. I'm sure we all have stories of that, of children saying that. When Jesus healed the lame and the blind in the temple, for example, children were the ones shouting his praises. The adults were the ones who set back skeptical and became indignant. Matthew 21, 14, and 15. 
When the religious leaders saw the outrageous things he was doing and heard all the children running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna for David, to David's son, they were up in arms and took him to task. Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, yes, I hear them. And, I haven't, and haven't you read in God's word from the mouths of children and babes, I'll furnish a place of praise. And then the simplicity of faith is, childlike faith is described here in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The steps to pleasing God are simple, like baby steps of a toddler. First, we come to God. Secondly, we believe that he's there. And third, we count on him to keep his word. Dag Hammarskjöld in his journal describes the believers of old, how they why they exhibited this kind of childlike faith, and I quote, he broke fresh ground because and only because he had the courage to go ahead without asking whether others were following or even understood. He had no need for the divided responsibility in which others seek to be saved from ridicule because he had been granted a faith which required no confirmation. That's the type of faith that pleases God. But there are risks to that type of faith, just as there are risks when children are learning to walk and they toddle toward their parents. They can fall on their faces, they can bruise a leg, they can bend back a finger if they try to brace themselves, hit their head on the coffee table, get pretty skinned up. When Stacy was a toddler, she fell down the steps um, at my sister's house. When I was a toddler, I opened the back door of the car and fell out on gravel doing about 15 miles an hour, so now you know what's wrong with me. However, the risks outweigh, or the risks need to be weighed against the rewards, and those rewards are found in the arms of loving parents, not in the padded security of a playpen. And those risks are something that children take because they trust their parents, and I think we make that connection. <clears throat> and I've said this a lot. If you didn't have very good parents... If your father wasn't a loving father, sometimes it's hard to make that heart connection between God because you don't know what a loving father is. And I, I, I'm sorry for that for you, that that's not the case. But that's, as we grow in faith and we have that confidence in God that we can run to him and he'll always be there for us, that uh, take us up in his arms and kiss us on the head and soothe our hurts. Down through the years, I've used many, many clips. Um, I'm not an advocate of Hollywood by any means, but I think they have done well in putting things together to make examples for Christ and the church. That might sound foreign to you, but uh, I, I do believe they had. If you're a student of history, you can read down through history and how God has used ungodly dictators and rulers to bring his will to be. My favorite clip about faith is in Indiana Jones and in the Last Crusade. Indy has to take this leap of faith to save his father who had been shot. He has to get across this path over this great chasm to get the Holy Grail so his dad can drink out of it and be saved. Let's watch. That's still been pretty scary. I'd have been doing this. 
That's how I'd have went over that bad boy, but I'd have got over there. But uh, I don't know, my dad might have been in danger after it took me to get across there. We not be, might not be faced with anything that extreme, but I'm sure that we've experienced some similar things in our walk of faith. Something mysterious or puzzling or difficult to understand. An enigma of faith. If we're all honest, couldn't, couldn't we say this morning that we might call it questioning God, but why things happened and you really thought it was puzzling. You didn't understand it. And I think there's a lot of those for us, but we'll be answered when we cross the river. But yeah, you continued on and you took that leap of faith and you, you trusted God faith or step after step. I think for a lot of our faith, we, we stay, I always use this carpet for a, a, to an example of our comfort zone. And we, we stay within that comfort zone and, and take maybe baby steps, maybe even get clear at the corner. But then there's that time in our life where God comes in and really challenges us to do something that we think is off the chart. And it's just like Indy, you, 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 you know, you take that first step and then, then you, you get into it and you still, it seems uncertain, but what that does to us, it forces us to really listen to God and no other voices around us. Because sometimes our, our very existence seems like it, 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 it rests on, on what God is saying to us and what he would have us to do. You know, the scriptures are full of examples of regular people. But I think to, to satisfy ourselves sometimes, we want to put super, something superhuman on them that they weren't regular people, that they were special. They were to a degree, but if you cut right down through everything else, we find out they're just like us. Here's three common examples of faith. Those who stepped out of Hebrews 11 weren't fully grown and mature in faith. They were uncoordinated toddlers with tenuous legs and mincing steps. They were weak. They were sinful. They were subject to depression and fear. They were, in a word, human, just like us. Three of those people are the focus of today's message. One merely a shepherd, one merely a preacher, and one merely a builder. The shepherd was named Abel, Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testified about his gift, testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel was a common man with the mention of his name, we go back in a time to a primitive era where life was a lot simpler and serene. There wasn't any pollution. There wasn't any wrecks on 70. You didn't have to fight for a parking place somewhere. There was no pandemic. Genesis 4 tells us that Abel was a keeper of sheep while his brother Cain was a tiller of the soil. That's in verse 2, chapter 4. Implied in the account is an important fact that God has specifically told both brothers, when you sacrifice to me, this is exactly how I want you to do it. That was the offering he expected. It was to be a blood sacrifice. Abel obeyed, but Cain, however, chose to do the work of his hands. Cain came to God by his own way. 
Abel came God's way. Abel's faith with evidence in his offering. Cain's lack of faith with evidence in his. Undoubtedly, Cain was sincere, but sincerity is no substitute for obedience. And we know how that story didn't play out so well. Cain murdered his brother. And it brings up a great point in life, in our lives. Have you ever heard anybody say, all paths lead to God? Doesn't matter which one you take, you'll all end up there. Not so. That's a lie of the devil. John 14, 6, I learned early in my, in my faith that this was going to be my foundation. And when these questions came to me, I would take people to John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the door. There are no other ways. People can spout all they want, but I don't believe that. There's only one way to God. God, God himself said that. Now, you can trace all kinds of other history of other beginnings and other religions, if you will. But to me, uh, being a follower of Christ is not a religion. It's a relationship with him. And I, I could get off on a rant. I, I've said things before that in some places I'd be poisoned or murdered because I spoke out against something that was false. And that's a, I could get on a rant here as well. There are certain things you can say in America and certain things you can't. You could get on radio or television or on the internet and say every despicable thing about people of faith in Christ. Get by with it. Nobody's. You flip that over and you pick another religion, so to speak, and you say things about them and the hate starts coming in. It's not, things aren't just and fair and we know that. That's the world in which we live in. It's human nature to want to come to God in our own way, on our terms. You know, Lord, I'm running this show, and here's the way it's going to be. I'm going to come to church once a month, and in my mind, I'm faithful, and I'll give you some money every once in a while. I'm not going to pay 10% because i got other stuff that I need to buy, so, but this is the way it's going to be. And you know what? We're going to live like this. And when you come to me to want me to do something, if I'm busy, I'm not going to do it. But I want to go to heaven. And so when I die, you've promised. You've promised me this. And this is the way it's going to be. You know, I've known people that's like that, and I don't know how, that, how good that turned out for them, actually. We can't offer our own good works and what we think. It's what, it's what God says. It's not God's way. God's way is hard for us. That's why it's so difficult. I, my opinion is, if you live an obedient life as a follower of Christ, it'll be the toughest, most difficult thing you do on the face of this earth. That's what he wants us to do, because there's more blessing in that. God's way is through another offering, the shed blood of his son, Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But when the Messiah arrived, high priest of the superior things of this new covenant, he bypassed the old tent and its trappings in this created world and went straight into the heaven's tent, the true holy place, once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. 
If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleansing up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans us up, up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead and efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. And when we come to God, it can only be through faith in Jesus, not the work of our hands. No matter how hard we have worked or how plentiful the harvest was. The next, the writer of Hebrews mentions a preacher named Enoch, 11.5. It encapsulates the life of an obscure believer. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. And he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. The biography of Enoch is at best sketchy. We have this verse, and there's a couple verses in Jude, verses 14 and 15, and there's a few verses in Genesis. He was a preacher who, his message to a wicked generation was not well received. They did not want to hear it. They wanted him to keep his words to himself, but he did not do that. In Genesis 5, 21 through 24, And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. When Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Perhaps it was the childlike faith that Enoch saw Enoch saw in his son as he was raising and that promised him to believe in God. We don't know for sure, but we know that his faith must have been off the chart. As he's mentioned here in Hebrews 11 in this whole list of heroes of the faith, and God took him to heaven without him experiencing death. That's always amazing to me. That's not happened too often. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, but pretty much the rest of us, we we got to go the way of the grave unless Christ comes back and the eastern sky splits and we hear the trumpet and we're out of here. And I think some look forward to that day. The 30-year-old faith he mentioned was a builder named Noah. As the writer of Hebrews thumbs through the book of Genesis, he comes to a well-worn, dog-eared passage that tells the story of a man of uncommon faith, Noah, the writer distills entire chapters of this man's life into just one verse, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He was out of step with his generation. People call that eccentric today. But Noah was walking to the beat of a different drummer. Think how ludicrous that would have seemed to those people in his world around him. No rain had fallen on earth yet, not since the beginning of time, not since God created the earth. He had a mist come up from the ground and watered plants and everything. So it never rained. They'd never seen it. No large bodies of water existed within 500 miles. The boat was a thousand times too big for his family. The length of Twice the length of a football field, almost a football field in width and four stories high. And to make Noah an even greater laughing stock, it took over a hundred years to build that. Some of us maybe have been harassed a little bit for our faith, but I mean nothing. 
Can you imagine as he was out there working, I'm sure that uh, the neighbors and some of the other people just came and pulled up a stump and sat there and ridiculed him and bad-mouthed him. The whole says, man, you are a lunatic. Yet in spite of how outrageous the objective or maniacal the method, Noah obeyed the instruction of God. He acted in faith, believing God over public opinion. He took God's opinion. So Abel, Enoch, and Noah, all common men, but each with an uncommon faith. By faith, Abel came God's way. By faith, Enoch proclaimed God's word, and by faith, Noah fulfilled God's will. We look in the scripture and we see these men of old, women of old. We leave them to history and archaeologists, and then we come into the present. We've seen the example that the scripture has told us. But how about your life? If faith was the topic of conversation in your neighborhood, would your name come up? Well, somebody would ask, who in this immediate area has faith in God? Who, who, who shows that? If Hebrews 11 were to be updated in heaven, would your name be on the list? Whether you're making an offering to God or speaking out on his behalf or obeying his word, God is looking for one thing, and that is faith. Because remember, the scripture said, without it, it's impossible to please God. And boy, we want to be in God's will. We want to please God. Why? Because he, he blesses us and our lives go better. Our attitude is better. Everything about us is better if we're in God's will. Even though calamity has come and, and tried to crush us, we still know that it's going to be all right. We, look, we have that hope of things that we can't see. A faith that is willing to step out no matter how weak in toddler steps and a faith that seeks the arms of God rather than the embrace of the world. You know, we talked about fear last week. You know, here's my opinion. You, you might not agree with me, but this is how I see it. One of the obstacles of faith that we have is fear, but it's fear of what? I think it's fear of giving our heart wholeheartedly to God because we know that if you do that, there is no place that he won't call you. And, and I think that, that bothers us. Man, man, if I think God, there's no place off limits and that he's going to call me and he might call me away from here and I am comfortable. I, I think, and I, I've, had that be, I've had that feeling before. I think, I think maybe we're, I think we're all like that, actually. In 1997, Diane and I were in Mount Carroll, Illinois, pastoring a church. God came to us and wanted us to move, <laughs> to come to a place where there was no church. That wasn't a snap decision to make. So in December 97, we moved up over Tyndall's and rented that office down below. And for those next few months, we went out and talked to people and spent a lot of time at the newsstand trying to enlist people to come to our church that wasn't, didn't exist yet. And of course, on October 4th, 1998, we had our first service. That was a difficult time for me and for my wife. 
It was the uncertainty. In Mount Carroll and the other church in Freeport as well, I knew on Sunday morning there would be X amount of people there, pretty much X amount of dollars on the offering plate. I knew what to expect. But this is a whole new ballgame. It was like stepping out on that path over that chasm. And it really challenged and, and tested both of us, our faith. It, it grew, but uh, it, was a, it was a tough time in there. I would stand and look out the window at the square I said, man, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure they're going to come? And uh, praise God, we know what happened, and that's why you're here. But nonetheless, it, uh, it increased my faith in, in God. Uh, still does. I've still got a ways to go, to be honest with you. How strong or weak is your faith in God this morning? Do you trust God like a child trusts a loving parent? Is your faith completely confident that God is always there, that that never, never changes? Your circumstances can change, but you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is always there, that he always cares, that he's always faithful, that he is ready always to intervene in our lives when we call on him, and that he is ready to embrace us when we throw ourselves into his arms. Perhaps you are somewhat of a doubter and a skeptic like Thomas. Man, Lord, I don't believe you're the risen Lord. I want to... I I want to feel them scars in your hand. I want, to, I want you to pull your robe aside so I can, I can see that big scar in your side, and I want to touch it. Scars feel funny. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you are, you are like that, that the enigma of faith is real to you because it is mysterious. It's puzzling. It's hard to figure out or to understand. Because faith, you can't see it or touch it, not physically. It's not tangible. So some people say, does faith actually exist? How do you know that? I've shared this example a lot because it's one of the best examples that I've ever heard on faith when skeptics say, well, you can't see it or handle it or prove it. If you cut open an eye, can you see sight? You're seeing me now. Show me that. I want to see sight. You know it exists, but you can't see it. If you cut open your hand, can you see touch? If you reach out, you feel something. You know it's there. Or if you cut open your nose, can you see smell? Do you know it exists? You cut open your ear, you see hearing? You know it exists. You cut open a tongue and you see, you don't see taste. Yet you know it exists. You realize that this is probably a rough figure, but approximately five, two billion followers of Christ in our world of seven point some billion. They've tried to break this down to a degree. 275 million are Pentecostal, 304 million are charismatic, 285 million are evangelicals, and the rest are scattered in different areas and different churches, different denominations, if you will. But all Bible-believing followers of Christ and all our people of faith, we are not alone in our faith walk. There's some amazing stories in the Old Testament about people of faith, and sometimes you scratch your head. Elijah, when he was on, the, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, he made it rain, so he had a drought. 
And after that great victory, he ran all the way back to Jezreel, which is 15 miles, and outran Ahab's chariots. The Holy Spirit had come upon him in a supernatural way, and he did that. He gets back to Jezreel. Jezebel, the queen, says, I'm not, I'm not going to have it my way till I have his head. And so <laughs> Elijah took off. He went and hid in the wilderness. And he was whining and complaining to God. Man, Lord, I'm the only one. And God said, no, there's 7,000 just like you right here in this vicinity. And on and on. I think we feel that way sometimes. But the faith we're talking about today is not a generic term. It's all about faith in Christ. Believing that he was God with skin on. Believing that he's alive and well, working in our daily lives as we have an active relationship with him. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And the question is this morning, does that describe your faith? And we're hesitant to ask God to strengthen our faith because, as we've talked about before, how does he strengthen our faith? He brings testing into our lives. And uh, Lord, I think I'll pass on that one. I'll just keep the faith I got. I don't, I don't really want it any stronger. But as said before, I've said before, if you're not tested, how do you know you have any faith? And that, that's what God does. And he does it because he loves us. I've always, I, I've always thought that was wild when a parent would say, when they're getting ready to spank you or give you some kind of punishment, well, you know, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I've never bought that. But I understand that, I guess. And maybe God is the only father that he can really say that and means it. Some of the things that he brings into our lives and some of the things he lets us experience to make our faith stronger, it hurts for a time. But after it's all said and done, we understand it. I want all of our faith to be where it needs to be. And that's, that's the point. It's the point of this series as we continue to struggle through this pandemic. We can't wish it away. We can't rationalize it away. You can't rationalize all those deaths that keep pouring in. You can't say that it's not happening because it is, and we're in it. Many of us have had it. We understand it. But nonetheless, it doesn't make it any easier. So I appreciate your faith in keeping hooked up with us and with God, hopefully. Lord, I love you. I appreciate you loving us beyond anything that we can even imagine in our finite minds. And Lord, when it comes to faith, many of us have been through experiences that that faith carried us through. And maybe it's some experiences even made it weaker and it needs to be strengthened again. But as sure as I'm standing in this spot, in this building this morning, in the future, there are going to be things that come into our lives that we're going to need this faith in a big way. None of us will escape that. So I just pray for these people whom I love this morning, Lord, that their faith is intact. They know you're always there, and they know that you care, and they know they can always turn to you for help. Thank you for that, Lord. Bless these folks. Anybody here this morning doesn't know you, they might come see me, come see one of the staff that... if. if and we can show them how that can be this morning. So we love you, God. We give you praise and glory. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.